0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. And I usually am up on the Spirit Lake campus. But this summer, Pastor Jordan and I are doing the old swap every once in a while. So I have the privilege of coming down and sharing with you this morning, which I consider that a lot of fun. By the way, the way I do things is I usually have a handout in the outlines or in the, in the bulletin, so you should have a handout there. I'd encourage you to take that out, uh, follow along with me, fill that in. There's a lot of good stuff in there that I think you'll find helpful, not just for this morning, but to remember and for the rest of your lives. This summer we're in a series called Taming the Tongue, We're looking at our speech and what God's Word says about the words we say. This morning, we're going to be looking at cussing and swearing. What does the Bible say about that? So I've been practicing cussing and swearing all week. Hopefully, to be able to get it right for you this morning. After this week, this is the last message in the Taming the Tongue series. Then next week, we're going to start a new series called Broken Vessels which is how does God love to use ordinary people in an extraordinary way? We're going to take a look at a number of different minor Bible characters, and each week will be a message on a little minor Bible character and how God used an ordinary person just like you and me in a great way for his kingdom. Uh, We'll look at Barnabas one week. We'll look at Caleb another week. We'll look at Gideon another week. All kinds of ordinary people that God likes to use. And if you like stories of how God works in people's life, you will love this series. So that'll bring us all the way until September, where we'll pick back up with 2 Samuel. As I said, today, this this morning, we're going to be looking at cussing and swearing, and what does the Bible say about that? We're going to look at this topic under two big headings. First of all, we're going to see what does the Bible say about using the Lord's name in vain? about using a Jesus or God as a cuss word or a swear word. And then after that, what we're going to be looking at is cursing in general. And so that's the way we're going to do this. As I was studying for this message, I ran across a very interesting article. Sometimes you run across those articles that they're actually satire, you know, the Babylon Bee kind of stuff, and you just sort of learn to laugh with it. I read this article, and I actually thought it was intended to be satire. It wasn't. It was a serious article in a major news publication. It was um, taking the studies of a college professor and why he recommends cursing and swearing for everyone. He says he studied cursing and swearing for 40 years as well as practiced it for 40 years and he wanted us to know the benefits of cursing and swearing. I thought just to sort of lighten everybody's heart, we'd begin with what he says. Here on the top of your outline, why did a college professor claim swearing is good? He gave four reasons. First is this. He claims those who curse have higher intelligence. Now, my personal experience is it's the opposite direction. Those who curse cannot seem to spell any words that have more than four letters but he claims they have higher intelligence. Another one he says is this. He claims cursing can improve pain tolerance. So if you shut your finger in the car door, he suggests swearing is instant Novocaine. Third thing is this. He claims cursing can encourage creativity. And you're like, how does cursing (laughs) encourage creativity? You know those guys who combine swear words together in a long string of profanity? That's the creativity he's talking about. And then lastly, he says this. He claims those, He claims cursing allows us to hurt people without throwing punches. Isn't that good? We can, don't have to physically hurt them, so we can verbally hurt them. And as I said, I read this, I'm like, is this guy actually serious? Like, this is published in a major news publication? This is one of the reasons I'm not too sure we should be sending our kids to college, right? You don't want them under this kind of professor. And then I thought I'd have some fun with this. How would one of his students uh, carry out what he learned in class? Imagine the student graduates, he, he gets a job, gets married, he, he comes home, he's tired, and his wife has made meatloaf. Guys, love meatloaf, Right? When it's overcooked. You know what I'm talking about? It's like one of the least favorite men meals. And so he looks at his wife, he sees meatloaf, and he says, I'm going to apply my college education. So he begins to curse at her and swear at her cooking. Obviously, she's not really excited about that. She says, how dare you say those kind of things to me and about my cooking? And he says, well, this is what I learned in college. My dear, don't you know the fact that I'm cursing and swearing tells you I'm a man of higher intelligence? In addition... I need this for pain tolerance when it comes to eating your cooking. Thirdly, it shows that I'm a very creative person. And lastly, you should be thankful. I'm just hurting you with my words, not throwing punches. How well do you think that's going to work? For the next month, maybe the next six months, you will be eating any dinner in the backyard along with the dog, right? It does not work well. Well, Let's sort of move on from what a goofy college professor says about the benefits of cursing and swearing. Let's look what the Bible says is the reality of our tongue and the words we use. As I said, we're going to look at this under two headings. First of all, what does the Bible say about using God's name as a curse word? And then we'll look at cursing and swearing in general. So we're on point two of your outline. What does the Bible say about using the Lord's name in vain? And there's Ten Commandments. Maybe you guys are familiar with them. The third of the Ten Commandments addresses this very clearly in Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, that just rolls off the tongue, but you wonder, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? In vain. And I put a definition in your outline for you. Vain. It is speaking God's name in an empty, meaningless, trivial, or disrespectful nay, way. When we speak God's name, there should be authority with it and there should be reverence for it because of who God is and for what he has done for us. Uh, let's look at the first subpoint. God is committed to his name because it reflects his identity. Some of you may be familiar with a man named Christian Saucier. He was a US Navy sailor on a nuclear submarine. He was with his buddies. He's, you know how young guys are. You can be a little random, a little foolish on occasions. With his buddies serving on tour, and he decided he'd get his phone out and just take some selfies with him and his buddies. Yeah, he knows what I'm going after, right? You do not take pictures on a U.S. Navy nuclear submarine. The Navy's not real excited about that. And he was caught. Now, he was not trying to take pictures of the Navy submarine to sell to the Russians. He had no real nefarious attempts. He's just being a young, foolish guy, taking pictures with his friend. But the Navy decided to throw the book at him. They to make an example out of him. He was going to be six years in prison, apart from his wife and children, for just a handful of sort of fun pictures with his friends. What hope did he have? There really was no recourse, except for one Hail Mary pass. And that's called the presidential pardon. You're familiar? The President of the United States can actually write a pardon for anyone who's in jail. And President Trump took up his cause. And after he had already spent one year in jail, wrote a presidential pardon for him. Now, wh- when uh, he discovered that President Trump had put a presidential pardon for him, he was completely in tears. And you can put that slide up there, Thomas. Now, I want you to know that today, you'll hear people speak the name of Trump with all kinds of derision. People say all kinds of bad things about our former president. But one person who will never speak the name of Trump poorly or badly or who will never speak the name of Trump without great respect is Christian Saucier because of how President Trump saved him from five to six years in prison away from his family. (laughs) Now, in a similar way, we should only speak the name of God in the name of Jesus with great respect because of who he is and what he has done. President Trump only freed Christian Saucier from five or six years in prison away from his family. But our God, Jesus Christ, freed us from an eternity in the lake of fire, which we fully and justly deserve for our sin. That is what God has done through for us, for his, through his own son. President Trump, to free Christian Saucier, all he had to do was take out a slip of paper, it's called a presidential pardon, write his name on the top, and sign President Trump's name on the bottom. It was really easy for him to do it but not so for our God. For Him to free us from the lake of fire that all of us justly deserve. His own Son, God's own Son that He loves more than you and I can ever love even our spouse. He sent His Son to earth to take on a human body forever. To hang on that cross to die the most, one of the most painful deaths ever conceived of by man, and at the same time to soak all of his sin into himself. And then to an experience on that cross, in space and time, with laser precision, all of God's wrath against our sin, Jesus suffered. He did that to free you and me from the eternity in hell that we actually fully deserve. Friends, it is inconceivable who would ever speak the name of Jesus as a cuss word, as a casual word, if Christian Saucier only speaks the name of President Trump with great respect and great reverence. The name of God and the name of Jesus should come across our mouths only great respect and reverence as well. Second point, point B, God is committed to protecting His name and expanding His reputation. The Bible tells us this, Psalm 138, verse 2. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Many of us are familiar with the fact that God has exalted above all things His word. He is committed to protecting His word. His word is truth in a world filled with error that I prayed about earlier. But you know, God is also committed to exalting his very name, protecting his reputation. God's name deserves respect, as I said, because of who he is and because of what he has done. Understand that God the Father willed for everything that is in existence to be in existence. And then Jesus, the Son, before he took on a human body, the book of Hebrews tells us (laughs) that he is the one who fashioned everything Everything, the smallest particle, an atom, a nano, Jesus made it. Go to the farthest reaches of interstellar space, Jesus hung the planets in place. He made everything. And Jesus, it says, sustains everything. The reason the sun comes up tomorrow morning is because Jesus made sure it did. The world did not spin out of control because of Jesus. Sustains everything. Which, by the way, makes a real interesting argument against global warming that the planet's going to end. Because isn't it true that Jesus is the one who sustains the planet to make sure it continues? As I said, it is inconceivable we'd speak the name of Jesus casually or disrespectfully or use his name as a casual word or a curse word. And God is committed not just to the reverence of his name, but he's committed to increasing the reverence of his name on this planet among people. Let me show you how he does that. An example from scripture. We can go to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. It says this But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This Little verse, is it referring to Pharaoh? Remember, <laughs> Israelites were in Egypt and, and God said, Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, No, you can I'm not let your people go. And then God's like, One plague after the other. And Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart. And so there's a bigger plague, plague and a badder plague. Why did Pharaoh keep hardening his heart? God said, I hardened his heart so I would make a better name and a bigger name for myself upon the earth. Every single one of these plagues kept showing that God is greater than the gods of Egypt, and he was creating a reputation for himself that preceded him, not only of God's power, but of God's sustaining care and love for his own people. Now, when you go to Joshua chapter 2, it says this. What's going on on this situation? What was happening at this point is that the um, Canaanites, whom the Israelites were going into, they're going into a spot that they hadn't—that was forty years later after they were taken out of Egypt. It was a second generation later. It was many miles away, but the Canaanites still had heard about what the God of Israel had done to the Egyptians and they were afraid of them because God had made his name famous in all the earth. Now, let's go to the next point here. I am to pray that God's name will be spoken with respect. Matthew 6, 9. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First part of the Lord's prayer is we should pray that God's name would be held in honor and respect. Why is that? Some of you know that in our woke world right now, those LGBTQA plus that whole alphabet soup thing. That if a man wants to be called by a woman's name, and a man wants to. Uh, be referred to by a woman's pronoun, you have to do that. And especially in some cities, if you don't do that, you can be fined. Why are they so insistent on controlling the language that you speak? Because if they can control the language that you speak, they can ultimately start to control what you think. You and I know that that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. But if they can get you to referring to men by women's names and women's pronouns, they can change the way you think about a man. God understands this in a similar way. He knows that if people do not speak His name with respect and honor and awe that it deserves, then people will not think about God with the respect and honor and awe that He deserves. Which is why the Lord's Prayer begins by saying, Hey, we should pray and ask God that His name would be spoken with respect and honor on this earth, because that is what will actually change the way people think about God on this earth. Another point God promises to punish those who speak His name disrespectfully. Today, On social media, God's name is commonly used as a cuss word. In fact, the the younger generation likes to have those three-letter acronyms for everything, you know, OMG. And if you're a young adult, I know how this is. Your friends are chatting back and forth on social media, and you want to be cool, you want to fit in, so they say OMG, so you say OMG. Oh, it's no big deal. We're just fitting in. We're all cool. That may be what you think. But look at what the Word of God says about what happens to those who speak God's name disrespectfully. Folks, and especially those of us who know better about the reverence and all that should be given to God's name. The second part of Exodus 20, verse 7. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Period. End of sentence. Well, how serious is God about taking his name, speaking his name with reverence? Here's an example Leviticus 24. Now, an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody, till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Folks, in the Old Testament, using God's name as a swear word or a curse word carried the death penalty with it. Do you like it? If you're in a room and you overhear somebody talking about you and they're speaking about you in a disrespectful way, does that fire you up? Yeah. When somebody speaks about our name in a bad way, imagine what God feels like when people are using his name in a disrespectful way. It gets him pretty fired up as well. If we're committed to the honor of our name, God is committed to the honor of his name, which means it's... (laughs) Impossible we would ever use God's name as a curse word or a swear word. Another point. God's name deserves respect because, by the way, it contains life-saving power. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, if you call out to Jesus in your heart, if you ask Jesus to forgive your sin, you need to know that a supernatural transaction will take place for all of eternity. Your sins will be forgiven. Your name will be written in the book of life. The Holy Spirit will make you into a new creation if you call out to God asking Jesus to forgive your sin. Now, folks, you could call out to Muhammad and nothing's gonna happen. You could call out to Allah, nothing's gonna happen. You could call out to Buddha, nothing's gonna happen. But you can call out to Jesus and everything will supernaturally change in your life. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. It does not matter what you have done in your past. Jesus, you call out to Him, and He will forgive your sin and change your life right here, right now. So it's inconceivable to would ever speak God's name casually, or disrespectfully, it makes no sense that we would use the name of Jesus as a curse word when there's so much power in that name that Jesus can save your life when you call out to him. Another thing, Acts 16, 18, it says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Do you realize the name of Jesus has so much power, it sends demons running? <laughs> Call out to the name of Buddha, the demons don't go running. In the name of Jesus, they will. Some of you know that I have three kids, and my youngest one is my daughter. She traveled overseas with crosswinds to Haiti. We do some Haiti mission trips. And if you've been to Haiti, you know it's a pretty dark place a lot of voodoo, all kinds of witchcraft, stuff like that, and my daughter said, you know, she was there, and sometimes at night, she felt it was such a dark presence around her. She can't explain it. Said, I don't know how to, how to communicate it, Dad. I've never felt that way before. But just darkness and pressure and depression, and so you know what she started doing? Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus. Jesus protect me. Whatever seems to be in this room, whatever seems to be oppressing us, take it away. And she says, you know, that changed everything, Dad. She's right. Because in the name of Jesus, the demons will flee. That's the power that's in the name of Jesus, which makes no sense for us to ever speak his name disrespectfully or casually. This morning, given the audience that I have, most of you are in church like you're here. I don't think a bunch of us are struggling with using Jesus' name as a curse word. So I'm going to give you something that's a little bit more applicable for each one of us, which is speaking Jesus' name is too casual of a word. I should be careful when I'm using Jesus or God's name in humor. In the Christian marketplace, people who are trying to connect with our culture, what they often do is they try to use all kinds of fun and cute cliches. They'll use Jesus' name as a fun and cute cliche, but sometimes in so doing, not that they mean to be disrespectful, but because of the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, they have become disrespectful. Let me give you some examples. Let's show, Thomas, show me that first shirt. You see Jesus saves, the little soccer goalie one there. And not you like Jesus got the goatee? He looks real cute. Jesus saves. Now, I don't think the guy who designed this shirt, I don't know who he is. I don't think he's meaning anything disrespectful by it. But you really have to think of this in respect to who Jesus is and what he's done. Jesus is not a cute soccer goalie with a goatee. Jesus is the one who created the entire universe. Jesus is the one who is sustaining everything in the world. Jesus is the one who had the greatest act of humility in all of creation by making himself, taking on humanity, and then dying on the cross for you and for me. Jesus is a soccer goalie. Jesus, saves. I don't think they intend to be disrespectful. But I think it sort of comes across as disrespectful, especially when we know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. So be careful about using Jesus' name in humor. I'll give you another example. Put up the next one. Next one. This one is the king of kings has become the king of beers. And this is a sort of a cute shirt here. I know the guy who did this, shirt. Sure, he's trying to figure out a way to connect Jesus with the culture. But once again, I think this is too casual. It ends up being disrespectful to Jesus. The Bible says that one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. Every single person who has ever lived... Be- in all of history, will be resurrected and standing before Jesus. And some will bow the knee willingly, because he is our Lord and Savior. Others will have their knee forcefully bowed. I'm going to tell you something. When you get up that morning, if the day then you have to bow your knee to Jesus, you're wearing the King of Kings is the King of Beer shirt, I think you're going to be thinking I should have changed earlier. I should have put a different shirt on that day, right? It's like too casual, it's too disrespectful. And as I said, I don't think the people who made these shirts were intending to be disrespectful to Jesus. That's not their heart. But you and I know the true identity of Jesus and the honor, the reverence, and awe anytime time we speak his name that should go with it. Amen? So let's get on to cursing in general. Let's look at this. What does the Bible say about curse words? And I want to just unpack... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. And it says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is writing the letter of Ephesians to the church of Israel. Ephesus. To give you a little bit of background on that church, the church of Ephesus is a church that he planted. The city of Ephesus was a port city. Uh, The goods from Rome usually went into the port of Ephesus and then were transported all throughout Asia. And the products of Asia all funneled into Ephesus and then were transported by boat to Rome. Uh, You think of Ephesus, it's a port city who has had sailors that have been gone for a long period of time. So you can imagine what it's like in that city. It's a sex-saturated city, a sin-saturated city. Incidentally, it's also true that it's a very occult-saturated city. Most of the books on occultism and witchcraft were published in the city of Ephesus. So that gives you a general tone of what the city was like. It was known for sex, sin, and Satanism. Paul planted the church there. And when Paul wrote to the church, a lot of what he wrote was sort of Christianity 101 for them. Because many of these Christians are what you call first-generation Christians. They're coming out of some really dark backgrounds in sexuality and Satanism. They're trying to figure out which way is up. So Paul is writing some basic instructions on Christian living. Even though this morning we're looking at how, what the Bible says regarding our words, at the very beginning, as he gets, right before he gets into the section on how we should speak, he talks about how we should conduct ourselves sexually. Since we are living in a world that is very similar to Ephesus, where people are often sexually confused and about understanding what God expects out of our lives and our sexual ethics, I'm going to start with this uh, verse that speaks about our sexuality. There are three things, he says, that should not even be named among Christians. And here they are. Sexual sin should not be part of my life. The first one is this. Sexual immorality. That is a junk drawer term referring to any form of sexual expression outside of one man and one woman in marriage. It says excludes. By the way, that's a typo it should be. It includes premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality and pornography incidentally sexual immorality is a translation of the greek term pornia where we get our english word pornography from so what the bible is saying is god says i created your sexuality i want you to enjoy your sexuality get married and enjoy it but outside of marriage i forbid it no premarital sex No extramarital sex, no homosexual sex, no pornography. It's all not to be named among Christians. And then he says this. Impurity should also not be named among you. This means dirtiness, literally. In the context, by the way, it is referring to sexual uncleanness. It's referring to lewdness. It is dressing and acting to draw attention and to seduce. How is dressing and acting to draw attention and seduce? How is that dirtiness? Think of it this way. Do you guys know what a dirty magazine is? It's a magazine filled with pictures of people that are not wearing enough clothes and they're acting in such a way to draw attention and seduce. And Paul says that kind of behavior should not even be named among God's people. Young ladies, I want to talk to you. I know what fashion is like. You pay a lot of money for fashion, but the more money you pay, the less clothes you get. True? And many young ladies, they like the fact that they wear these clothes that are very revealing. They can walk into a room and they are the center of attention in the room because half of the men are staring at them, the other half of the men are staring at their shoes. Right? And Paul says, that is not even to be named among the Christians. Ladies, if you have a miniskirt that your father can use as a belt, it's too small. (laughs) That's not the way we act, in a sexually dirty, promiscuous, seductive way. That's not the way Christians conduct themselves. And then he says this, covetousness should not be named among you. Now, it's a burning desire to have what is our neighbor's, but I want you to notice something. The first word here has a clear sexual reference to it. The second word had a clear sexual reference to it. What do you think his intent is when he talks about covetousness? it also is having a sexual reference, because the way it works in Greek, it's all sort of being at the same kind of theme here. And it's this. He's referring to sexual covetousness, which is allowing ourselves to lust after someone that is not our spouse. Isn't that what covetousness is? Wanting somebody and something that is not yours, but is somebody else's? While the last term referred more to women and how they act and how they dress, this term refers more to men and how they think and how they act. Men, be content with your wife. Focus on your wife. Christian men do not allow themselves to fixate and think about somebody else's woman, somebody else's wife. That's not even to be named among you. Very practical stuff here. Then, he goes from Christian sexuality, what does it look like in a one-on-one way, and he goes to Christian speaking. What does this look like? And he says this, Obscene words should not come from my mouth. Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Let's focus on the first one, filthiness. It means words or phrases that are dirty. They are the words you wouldn't use around mom because she would wash your mouth out with soap. Those are the dirty words. It's the F word. It's the S word. It's most of the profanity and verbal insults that use, we use. And then you say, but I was upset. They made me angry. I had to use those words. No, you didn't. If you've been saved by Jesus, You've been made into a new creation by what Jesus has done for you. The words that come out of your mouth should not resemble as if they came out of the pit of hell. No dirty words. By the way, in Colossians 3.8, he says this, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now in Ephesians, he says no dirty words. But here in Colossians, he says, no, obscene words. Here's what this means. You ever hear somebody ever, ever somebody ever say like this, you are such a fill-in-the-blank, obscene word? You know what's coming to your mind. I don't need to speak it. He says those kind of words should not be part of the Christian life. That's not the way we conduct ourselves verbally. While we're talking about filthy words, while we're talking about obscene words, I want to talk about something called Christian profanity. And some of you are like, Christian profanity? I'm not too sure what that is. Well, you'll understand it in a moment. This is when Christians take obscene words and dirty words and they slightly twist them to try and sanitize them to say, I'm a Christian, so I could use them. I'll give you an example. Instead of saying, What the hell? we say, oh, what the heck? Instead of saying, oh, my God, we say, oh, my gosh. Instead of saying, God damn it, we say, dag nabbit. I don't know what a dag nabbit is. Nobody has been able to tell me what a dag nabbit is other than a slightly changed God damn it. Instead of using the S word, we'll say C-R-A-P. And well, And you know, I didn't swear! Oh, real close! But I actually didn't swear. My answer to that is, folks, as far as everybody else in the world is concerned, you might as well have sworn. And when they, you may say, dag nabbit, everybody else hears, God damn it. Isn't that true? They don't make that subtle differentiation. In addition... Later on, as we continue, Paul's going to say, our words are not to try and be like pseudo-fake profanity. Our words are to be thankful and gracious. So my answer for you is, if you have what I call Christian profanity you try to use and get away with, don't use it. Don't try and get away with it. It might as well be profanity. Our words are to be gracious and kind and thankful, not to be close to cursing and swearing as we can get. Next one. Foolish words and actions shouldn't characterize my life. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. Foolish talk literally means silly talk. It literally means speaking like a moron. It's morologia. Moron words is what it's. You say, what are are moronic words? It's words that we speak with other people that have no redemptive value that don't build anybody up, that quite honestly, if you're to weigh it after you're done talking, it's just an empty waste of words and other people's time. What does that look like? I tried to think this through a little bit. I have some examples. You guys familiar with YouTube? Everybody at YouTube? You know, everybody wants to have a YouTube channel, right? Because if you can get your people to watch your YouTube channel, you can make a lot of money. So this has resulted in a lot of people doing some really crazy things on YouTube, right? Trying to get people to watch them. I'll give you an example of one guy. How many of you are familiar with Whistlin' Diesel? Oh, you guys are too (laughs) well-behaved. Whistlin' Diesel is a young guy that what he's done is, his channel is all about destroying perfectly good expensive trucks and cars. He'll get a brand new F 350, $100,000 one, and he'll see if he can completely destroy it in one episode. Driving it through the mud, filling the bed with concrete, going over jumps, just destroying it because he knows he can get a lot of people to watch it. One of the more recent ones was a $400,000 Ferrari that decided to take off road as fast as it would go. How long do you think that lasted? Another one was taking a new car, using a crane to lift it over a house, and dropping it through a house. Now, I would say this could have qualifies as silly, moronic talk. No redemptive value. No good that's coming. Now, is he making a lot of money on YouTube because a bunch of other people want to see him do crazy stuff? Oh, yeah, he's making good money. But he's really not doing anybody any good, is he? I'll give you an example on the opposite side. Are any of you familiar with the YouTuber Mr. Beast? A couple, see These guys right here are like, yeah, Mr. Beast, they know me. Now, I'm not saying that everything Mr. Beast does is wonderful, but I ran across this, and I thought, this is an example. Mr. Beast is a YouTuber, decided he would take the money he was getting from YouTube, and he wanted to do good for other people. He decided to pay for the surgeries for 1,000 blind and near-blind people to recover their sights. Let me show you.
1: I can see your face, I can see your face, I can see your face. But 1,000 people getting free cataract removal. I can see everybody's facial features now.
0: It's a little blurry with my uh, tears coming out.
1: (laughs) The surgery is paid for by Jimmy Donaldson, better known online as Mr. Beast. They can't see but we have all the technology to
0: fix it. Yep, half of all the blindness in the world is people who need a 10-minute surgery.
1: The most followed individual on YouTube, teaming up with ophthalmologist Jeff Levinson in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Levinson's Gift of Sight program provides free cataract surgery. The Gift of Sight, for not just one, I can see your face, I can see your face, I can see your face. But 1,000 people getting free cataract removal. (laughs) I can see everybody's facial features now. It's a little blurry with my uh, tears coming out. (laughs) The surgery is paid for by Jimmy Donaldson, better known online as Mr. Beast. They can't see. (laughs) but we have all the technology to fix it.
0: Yeah, half of all the blindness in the world is people who need a 10-minute surgery.
1: The most followed individual on YouTube, teaming up with ophthalmologist Jeff Levinson in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Levinson's Gift of Sight program provides free cataract surgery to uninsured patients who are legally blind due to cataracts. Everything looks so more clear. Yeah. To make this day even more special, since you're about to graduate high school and go to college, we wanted to give you $50,000 to put towards college. Giving back has been important to Mr. Beast since he first started making money on YouTube. I just got my first brand deal for $10,000, and I just gave it away. So I, did, I just literally, I got it, and then I went outside and I gave it to a homeless person. Nearly half the population with curable blindness doesn't have access to this surgery. So I wanted to provide this to as many people as possible. The video racking up more than 40 million views in less than a day. The number one trending video on YouTube over the weekend. You know, so many people think this, you know, people on YouTube are just, it's just all drama, silliness, yeah. Yeah. And you you guys are focused on so many good things. Which is something I would like to add, like most creators, like I've thousands and almost every single one of them was like, yes, how can I help? They weren't like, what's in it for me or I don't know. Like they're like genuinely, I was shocked
0: Well, if your life was a YouTube channel, what would it be like? Silly, moronic talk, or to be a channel about giving life, giving health, and helping others? Well, Paul says we should not be known for silly, moronic speech. The next thing he says is this dirty jokes and stories shouldn't be part of my life. Ephesians 5:4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Crude joking, it literally means taking something that is innocent and good and twisting it, making it perverted or evil. You say, what is that? Most of the comics out there today exercise or engage in this kind of joking. You know, there's the funny things, but they always seem to take something and turn it sexual or turn it twisted. He, Paul says that's not the kind of thing we do as Christians. Are you guys familiar with Larry the Cable Guy? A couple of you. you see, the younger generation, they're totally in sync with all my YouTube comments here, right? You know about Larry the Cable Guy. He's a, he's really funny. A total redneck humor, right? Very redneck humor. Um, and he has some really good stuff, but I, as I was watching him on YouTube, what I quickly discovered is, all of a sudden, there's sometimes where he all of a sudden starts getting into sexual humor, like all of a sudden it's one joke after the other joke is like cheap sexual humor, and I'm like, Ugh! and finally I said, "Flip, we got to go to the something else, honey." <laughs> this is exactly the kind of humor, cheap sexual humor, that Paul says should not characterize the kind of humor that Christians use in their lives. And then he says this at the end, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Folks, let's be honest. If you choose sexual purity and you save sex for your wedding, you save sex for your marriage, if you're a young woman and you choose not to dress in the coolest, latest fashions, but you choose to dress respectfully and nicely, but modestly, or if you're a guy and you choose not to l- walk around engaging and pursuing your lusts, you know what? People are going to laugh at you. They're going to mock at you. They're going to say, you got to get with it, buddy. This is the modern day world. Why are you such a prude? If you're somebody who refuses to use filthy words, you refuse to speak like a moron, Moron, you refuse to laugh at or repeat the dirty jokes. They're going to say, what's wrong with you? Come on, get with it. And Paul says, don't let them bully you into fitting into the world. Folks, those are the kind of things that, when Jesus returns, the kind of things that Jesus judges, sexual sin and verbal sin. So don't be bullied into going back into those kind of things. And then he says this, rotten words that tear others down shouldn't be part of my life. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The key to understanding this verse is the word corrupting. The word corrupting is originally used to refer to rotten fruit. You guys know what a banana does? You got that nice banana from the store, but if you happen to forget it and you leave it in the corner for like two weeks, what happens? It turns black. It has fruit flies all around it. And try to get your kids to eat the banana then, right? They're going to stay 12 feet away from that disgusting banana. And what he says is, you may be a Christian who's not using profanity. You may be a Christian who's not using crude jokes, but are your words creating rot and decay in the lives of others who hear them? Or are your words building people up? Or are they tearing people down? You and I, no Christians, they don't speak profanity, but they're always griping, always whining, always complaining about the weather, about the neighbor, they don't like the food they had at the restaurant, just negative, negative, negative. And Paul says, As Christians, that's not the way we speak. We're not like a rotten banana creating downers in everyone's life. We're to build them up. And here's another one. I am to love my enemies, not to curse them. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Or Luke 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now you think, curse words. Well, I should be able to at least curse my enemies. The people who have been mean to me. The people who have been harsh to me. The people who have been difficult to me. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? God says no. When somebody is mean to you, you pray for them. When somebody hurts you, you go out of your way to bless them. You try and do good to them. We're different. We don't cuss everybody out. I thought to myself, imagine if this was applied in government today. Like the two opposite sides of the aisle, instead of cursing at each other, they began to pray for each other. They went out of their way to do good for each other. They tried to bless each other. You know, something might actually get done in Washington if that happened. Isn't it true? Here's another one. My speech should be filled with thanksgiving, not cursing and complaining. This refers back to Ephesians 5.4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. And then he says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. At this point, some of you are saying, I'm not even too sure what to say anymore. I mean, I can't tell dirty jokes anymore. I can't curse anymore. I can't grumble. I can't gripe. I've got nothing to say for the rest of the week. And this is what Paul says. Fill your mouth with thanksgiving. On the way home, you say to your spouse, you reach out and you hold their hand, you say, I want you to know how thankful I am for you. You speak to your kids in the back seat. I want you to know how thankful I am that God gave you to me and that you're in this family. We love you. You go out to eat, and the waitress serves you your food. Tip her well. And then say, thank you for serving. By the way, my daughter's a waitress. Not everybody tips well. Not everybody is thankful. I hear about it at home. Trust me, it makes a big difference in the lives of the waitress. Just exude thanksgiving. That is what we're to be like, known as thankful, grateful persons. Here's another one. I will give an answer to God for my careless words. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Careless words, these are the ones that when somebody says something to you, it's the zinger that comes to mind and you speak it before you actually thought it because it's really good. You know, you just, I got you on that one. And God says, I'm listening. I care. You give an account for those kind of careless words. Our words should be building others up, not tearing others down. And the last point is this. The words of my mouth actually reveal the true state of my heart. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. At this point, I know how many of you are. You're saying, oh, man, I feel super convicted right now. I have a lot to change. I have a lot my I have cursing and swearing and grumbling and complaining that comes out of my mouth, and you're thinking, I've got to go home and I've got to try harder." I want you to know, this message is not about trying harder. This message is about relying and loving Jesus more. Because the words that come out of our mouth are just the overflow of the abundance of our heart. The way to change our speech is to walk closer, more tightly, and more intimately with Jesus. And when that happens, our speech will naturally change. Today, I don't know if you have a regular habit of reading the Bible. If you don't, I would pray to you, ask you, just, just four days a week, just take one chapter and read it. Make a serious commitment to keep your finger in the text. And when you do, say, God, speak to me. Underline what he speaks to you. He will speak to you. The word of God is living, the Bible says. It's active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It is alive. He will use it in your life. When you're driving to work, turn off the radio. That's your quiet time in a busy world. Time for you to talk to Jesus. Time for you to just pursue that. Do that. And I would encourage you to find one verse, one verse of your choosing that you read in your Bible time, that you commit that to your heart each week. The last thing I'd encourage you to do is be faithful and connected to church and to God's people. The Bible says in Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That we're never going to become as strong and healthy and effective as God wants us to be in isolation. We will always become much more strong, healthy, and effective for Jesus when we're connected and in community. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we think of the, the words of the Bible that says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. And we want to just confess that many times the words of our mouth and the meditations of our sight are not acceptable to you. When we get angry and someone irritates us, we can curse, we can grumble, we can whine, we can complain. Forgive us for that. I ask this week, They would pursue you more, they would love you deeper, that understanding the greatness of what you have done for us, that we covered in the front end of this message, would always cause us to speak the name of Jesus and the name of God with great awe, with great reverence, and with great respect. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen.